This would be a good time to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. <laughs> so we are going to begin a new series on Abraham, and I want to just recommend you a book. Um, it's a heavy book, uh, but it's definitely a worth a read. Um, it's by Dr. Chris Wright. It's called The Mission of God, which, I mean, Chris is a, uh, is a well-known scholar, but this is probably his, uh, the, the biggest book, the book that he focused most of his energy on. And some of the, uh, the things that I'm going to say is found in this book, and I just really want to, want to recommend you um, this book. Well, I found these things on BBC website. Syria is perhaps heading towards a civil war. Oil uh, price jumped to 43 months high. And Greece is at the brink of collapse, economic collapse, and perhaps the EU with it. And I just signed an online petition as uh, Wendy prayed to free 30 North North Korean refugees in China. Um, to prevent them to, to, to be deported uh, back to North Korea. But all of that can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3 and the disobedience of Adam. In fact, Genesis chapter 3 all the way through 11 talks repeatedly about the curse and the sin that has, uh, that has, uh, that, that has, uh, that's out of control, that spiraled out of control. And the scale is daunting. It presents us with the picture of the world where the whole cosmos is fallen. Immediately where we see the relationship between spouses become power struggle. Siblings kill each other. Every thought and intention is evil. Civilizations in chapter 11 advance and they build a tall tower. But as we know, it only leads people to be proud and they were, as a result, scattered all over the world. And people's relationship with nature isn't any better. The earth is cursed as a result of Adam's sin. And the land produces thorns and thistles as he works. Nature groans and moans because of the devastating sin upon the world. And we see its effects even now with the volcano erupting and tsunamis um, devastating uh, Japan even today. And people's relationship with God is broken. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, but we see that on, uh, 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 in this culture right now. The world is filled with evil at the end of chapter 11. And this is what Chris Wright, um, this person that I mentioned, says about the state of the world at the end of Genesis chapter 11. The earth lies under the sentence of God's curse because of human sin. Human beings are adding to their catalog of evil as the generations roll past. Jealousy, anger, murder, vengeance, violence, corruption, drunkenness, sexual disorder, arrogance. Technology and culture are advancing, but the skills that can craft an instrument for music and agriculture can also forge weapons of violence and death. Nations experience the riches of their ethnic, linguistic, and geographical diversity, along with confusion, scattering, and strife. As we hear in the story of Babel in chapter 11, we're left to wonder, is God's relationship to the world broken? Is God's gracious forbearance now exhausted? 
Has God rejected the nation, nations in wrath forever? And this scale, once again, is daunting. It's not a problem of some people. All creation has gone awry. And on the surface, the call of Abraham that we hear in chapter, chapter 12 um, and I'll try to call him Abram um, until his name changes in chapter 17, seems, this call seems meager. Facing a global disaster, the story homes in on one aging man and his barren wife. At first, the call seems limited in geography and time, yet this was the promise made to the whole world. In fact, it is the key that unlocks the biblical story, Old Testament and the New Testament. This promise made in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9, is so central to the book that it's repeated in Genesis again and again and again. Actually, it occurs throughout the Bible with its variations. This is a pivotal moment in God's salvation history. It is the beginning of God's unfolding of his plan to reverse the curse and evil that have wrought the earth and, re- and, and his plan to rescue his people. Once again, to quote uh, right, the call of Abraham is the beginning of God's answer to the evil of human hearts, the strife of nations, and the groaning brokenness of his old creation. You see, after um, Genesis chapter 3, the fall, it's just a string of curses. Nothing good actually happens. And these words given to Abram promise blessing for the first time, blessings for him and also to the whole nations. So uh, let's turn to the promise in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9. And as you, you can see there, the first thing that you can notice in verses 2 to, to, to 3 is, all, is, the, is the subject, eyes. Here, I will make you into a... Uh, a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you your name great. I will bless those who bless you. It is God who is going to bless the whole world. And there have been attempts throughout the human history to save humankind through its own effort. Make no doubt about it. Some people actually believe that some of the things that they will do then will become a blessing for all nations. I think of Karl Marx who believed that the capitalism was what was wrong with the world and, and, and that a revolution of the proletariats could actually solve this global problem. Well, we can see that he has failed. After the Industrial Revolution, people believed that the technological advances could solve all human problems. And to a certain, certain extent, science has cured many, many things and advances have improved our lives. But the technology that saves also is technology that, once again, brings evil to the world. Um, at the height of the idealism um, of, of, of where the history was going happened World War I, and then a few years later, World War II. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter 11 as well. Remember what the nations say in 11.4. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be like God and reach the heavens. They wanted to be, uh, to, to, to be their own savior. 
But as we see in the promise and throughout the Bible, salvation of creation, the reversal of the fall, will only come by, because of the efforts of God. God will bless the whole earth. God will save. I will do this. God says to Abram, and remember, it is God promising that his name will be great. In Genesis 11, they wanted to make their name great, name great, but God promises now that his name, he will bless that name. But once again, if we go back, the scale seems local. The blessing only seems to concern Abraham. Leave your country and go, God said. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And in the Old Testament, the blessings really in, uh, meant increase in family and flock, wealth, and long life in combination of, of those. I will make your name great. But then it takes on a crucial turn at the end of chapter, uh, in verse 2. The verse 2 that is translated as, as, and you will be a blessing, is literally, be you a blessing. It's a command. Be a blessing is what he says. So there are two commands. First of all, go, so I'll, and I'll bless you. And be a blessing, he says. And you see what's happening here? Abram isn't just, uh, the promise given to Abram isn't just for himself. God will bless him so that he can bless others. Be a blessing. This is how God will bring upon blessings upon whole nations the whole world to be redeemed again. God intends to mend the creation that is broken by human sin through the promise made to Abram. And see how God continues in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. This command is essentially missional. Abram goes so he can become a blessing for all nations. And of course, as we will see um, in the coming weeks, Abram was a source of blessing to some people. Those who blessed him were blessed, and those who stood in the wrong side of him were also destroyed. But this promise wasn't just about Abram. After all, he didn't become a great nation, and his name wasn't exalted above all the earth. It wasn't the Old Testament, his Old Testament descendants either. Moses came and made them, the Jewish nation, into a nation. And some were blessed, um, uh, but not, not all the nations were blessed. Solomon attracted Queen of Sheba to come into the nation of Israel and know Yahweh God, but not all the nations. David comes and fulfills some of these promises, but he too was found lacking. The name that will become a blessing for all nations, this promise, um, as we will see more clearly, is about Jesus. So if you scan down to verse 7, the offspring mentioned in verse 7 is singular, as Paul mentions in Galatians 3. This is because, and that's because this is talking about a specific person. This is talking about Jesus who is to come. In fact, actually, it could be all turned to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Where Paul says this, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. 
In verse 9, so, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham as man of faith. Paul is saying here, the promise made to Abram was the gospel in advance. The good news that will bring salvation not only to the Jewish people, but to all those who believe. The good news that will reverse the curse of sin and death and bring fullness of the kingdom of earth. This was the proclamation of gospel in advance. This was the declaration of God's mission. God's mission to bring salvation to all earth. His intention to bring, bless all nations. And it happens through the call of one man, Abram. And the first thing that I want, to, I want us to notice is actually just the unity of the Bible. The book that was written in the span of about 1,400 years has one message to tell. It's the same God and the same plan of salvation, and it began with Abram. And secondly, we must note that God is a missional God, that God plans to bring salvation not just to individuals, but not, not, not health and, and wealth and, and blessings to some people, but salvation to the whole cosmos. People who are called are not called just for themselves to receive these blessings for themselves, but they're called to be a blessing for others, but for the whole world. I remember what this all sounds like, because Jesus also gives a similar command. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, he says essentially the same thing that God says to Abram, Go and be a blessing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What Jesus says, essentially, is go and be a blessing for all people. We, as Abram's children... As disciples of Christ are given the same missional command to go and be a blessing for all nations, to be a part of God's plan of bringing salvation, bringing all nations to God, to be a blessing to others by bringing this knowledge of Jesus. God is a missional God. The church is a missional church. The Holy Spirit is a missional spirit who sends us forward, who propels us, not just to ourselves, to be better people ourselves, but to be a blessing for others. God seeks to transform us and through, uh, through us, the whole world, to reverse the effects of Genesis chapter 3. And the promise made to Abram was the beginning of his salvation plan that reaches its climax with the coming of, uh, of Jesus and his death on the cross and will reach its resolution when Jesus comes back again in Revelation chapter 22. And that is God's salvation plan. And, it was, uh, and Abraham was in, invited to participate and we at the same time are invited to participate. And so... Um, uh, I'm just excited to see that the keystone that, re, that, that unites the Old and the New Testament, this promise made to Abram, is echoed through the Old Testament and also uh, reverberates through the New. But remember, 
how God is, uh, well, this is God's mission. God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And he, it, this mission is something that God will accomplish. But at the same time, we're um, invited to participate. So look to verse 1. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Here is the call. Leave your country, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. And we must think of what that call must have been like for Abram. For what we know, Ur, his hometown, was one of the richest places in the Mesopotamia. And like most cities in the ancient Middle East, it was filled with idols. It worshipped God of moon and stars um, and the sun. And perhaps, maybe perhaps Abram was a God-fearer, somebody who had an inkling of knowledge of who, of who Yahweh was. But no matter how it happened, the important thing is God calls him. God reveals himself to him, to a person who is living in this pagan land among pagan gods. This isn't just a story of faith. Um, this is a story of, of conversion, this is what happens when, a, when, when God calls a person to be his, to become a follower of the true God. And this is the call. Leave your land. Leave all that you have. Leave your people. Leave all the culture that is part of you. Leave your family. Leave all the relationships that you have. Leave everything that you know. Leave and go to the land I will show you, he says. To follow God, we must leave every aspect of our previous life. And once again, although this call was given to Abraham, uh, Abram, um, but it, we, we hear the echoes of this command in Jesus, in Jesus' command, don't we? It seems familiar to us because Jesus makes this call to his disciples when he calls us to follow him. Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Just as God called Abram to leave everything, to follow him, to be part of God's mission work. Jesus says in order for us to participate in his work, for us to be his disciples, we too have to leave everything in order to follow him. And God doesn't make it easy for Abram either. He doesn't tell him exactly where he should go. The command in verse 1 is, Go to the land I will show you. It's only when he arrives in chapter uh, in verse five um, to Canaan, land of Canaan, he then tells him that this is the pro- this is the land that I prom- uh, that was promised to you. But Abram, without knowing where he was going, went forward. He obeyed without knowing exactly how everything was going to work out for him. I want to say, just if there is anyone um, here in this church who are considering becoming a Christian, I want you to know that God never promised Abram that everything will be easy. The call to become a Christian isn't a call to a a life of certainty, prosperity. It's a call to depart from all that you know, 
and go to the land that he shows you. It's a, it's a call to a life of faith and obedience. And you should know that before you decide to follow Jesus. You should count the cost before you decide to follow Jesus. And for us, to Christians, it's important to note, uh, notice that in, uh, in order for Abram to, to be used as agents of God's blessing for all nations, he must answer it with radical departure from this world's values and obey God's call. Faith and obedience are essential credentials for participating in that limitless blessing for ourselves, but also for others. Without that faith, without that departure, without that obedience, we cannot enjoy the blessings for ourselves, nor could we be a blessing for others. So, the question is, do you live like people in Or and Haran? Or do you live like Abram, who lived in tents? Who left everything that he knew to follow Jesus? How much are we attached to our ambitions, our values, the world's values? And have we abandoned everything to follow Jesus? Is the fact that you have left everything to follow Jesus evident in the way that you work? the way that you treat your family, and the way that you spend your free time. Abram left when he was 75 years old. He took everything that he had and went to Canaan. Is there a part of you that's still tied to or to ambitions, to love that you have not given up? Most of us are like kids uh, with lots of candies. If you go, could I have them, they'll give you some of it but they'll hold some of it back in their back. Leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go. So Abram left, as Lord had told him. We will need to leave everything, obey and obey his call. If we're going to participate in God's mission, if we're going to enjoy God's blessings for ourselves and become a blessing for others, we will have to set our eyes on Christ and follow him and leave everything behind. So faith and obedience are marks, um, uh, 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 things that are necessary in order to, for, for us to participate in God's mission. But as he left, it wasn't easy. For Abram, there were obstacles from the very beginning of his journey. So look to um, Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. You know this? um, Now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. We can't be sure exactly how old Sarai was at the time, but Bible makes it clear that she didn't have any children at the time, and she was barren, and she wasn't going to have any. And, verse, um, and, and the second obvious um, obstacle is in, found in verse 6, chapter 6. In chapter 12, verse 6, Abram traveled and arrived at the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. Moreh in Hebrew means teacher or, or, an, or an oracle. 
The tree was probably an ancient shrine, the center of idol worship. And we're told, the sixth verse continues with, with this, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. After months of traveling, he arrives at this tree at, at Canaan, and he, he, he finds this land um, filled with idol. He finds this land that's, that belongs to some others, Canaanites. But look how Abram responds in, in verse 7. So he built an altar there to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. He built an altar at the center of the place of idol worship. Abram made an altar and worshipped Yahweh. In fact, it's probable that the only things that he built in the promised land throughout his lifetime were altars. And he does it again and again to all the places that he goes. He does it again in a few verses later as well. When he went down towards Jerusalem and camped near Bethel and Ai, he built an altar to Yahweh and called on the name of the Lord. He worships God who had called him. And we too do not find it easy to live a life of faith here. There are obstacles all around us. And some challenge the faith um, on scientific grounds, saying that we're deluded with this God. But for, for most in Hong Kong, I think it's the worries of, of, of wealth and status that choke our faith away slowly. And just as Abram lived in a pluralistic society filled with other gods, we too live in a, a society filled with other gods. I mean, it's, it, you can sit across a Hindu and Buddhist, Muslim, and a Christian all together in an MTR cart, can't we? And for some, this is a challenging thing. And this is why it's important to worship. Abram worshipped Yahweh. And in verse, seven, verse 8, when Abram is said to call on the name of Yahweh, Martin Luther translates this as he preached the name of Yahweh at the altar. He recalled the name of God who had called him. He proclaims a name to the world. He built an altar to remind himself who Yahweh was, the God who called him. He built that altar to proclaim to the world who God is. Preaching the name of Jesus and worshiping Jesus are integral, once again, to God's mission. In fact, it is, the God, it is God's goal that all nations will come to know him and all nations will preach Jesus and worship him. Sarai remained barren. And Genesis does not record an, uh, 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 numerous converts through the ministry of Abraham. The land is filled with Canaanites, but Abram worshipped Yahweh wherever he went. And in due time, Abram becomes a blessing to others. God fulfills his promise. At the age of 100, Isaac is born, and both Ishmael and Isaac become great nations. Many are blessed through him, And about 2,000 years after Abram's, uh, Abram's call, Jesus is born. 
Abram's seed and all the nations. Uh, through Abram's seed, all the nations are blessed through him. Remember, all the eyes in this promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will make uh, you will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. All the nations on earth will be blessed through you. God had made this promise to Abram, and God fulfilled it, and God is fulfilling it now. There are many missionaries actually in this church, um, but we're all. Every one of us are called, is called to, to, um, to our networks of friends and family and coworkers. But our job is not to transform the world through our might. God is doing that. Our job is then to go, to leave the, the values of this world, leave the things that the world thinks is important, to go and leave to obey in faith, and to worship Christ wherever we go, not just on Sundays, but in our workplaces, in our families, and preach Jesus, live in this pluralistic society, and lift the name of Jesus high. And when we do that, when we live in that radical way as people who have left everything to follow Jesus, and worship him, all nations, everyone will be blessed through him. For they will come to know the one true God. Let's pray together.